I think. Yep, we're good. Ay, 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 ay. Now Let's we clap. need to establish who is better. One, One two, two, three. three. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's been ages since we've been in the same room. It's been four weeks since you looked. <laughs> <laughs> I just got back from Orlando doing my show, Six Chick Flicks or Illegally Blonde Pretty Woman Dirty Danced on the Beaches Riding a Notebook on the Titanic. Hashtag parody life. Living the parody life. I have a really exciting, I have to give a shout out to Sarah, one of our dearest readers. I got to meet her in real life. That was, I was so excited she was coming to show because I've, it was so it was so cool for someone to see me perform a lot, to see me perform live. God, that sounds awful. But like, it was so cool. No, it's your two loves combined. Yeah, because she knows me from the podcast and it's not me performing live. Although you might be, you're confused. You're like, wow, you edit this? It seems really insane. And wow, this is an edited version? And the answer is yes, it is. But here's what's really cool. I didn't tell you this. Hmm. So I went to Universal Studios um, and I went to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. I went to... The Jurassic Park, you know, we went to all of it was so fun in the role. I love roller coasters. It was so fucking fun. So we get in the line for the Velocicor, Velocicoaster, which, by the way, rules. It's an upside down roller coaster. And there's only an like a waist harness. They don't go over your shoulders. It is. I don't know that I've ridden that. Is that new? It's brand new at Universal. Oh, amazing. It's so new. It's Velocicoaster. Making it sound like it's in Jurassic World, is it? It is. It's in the Jurassic Park part of um. Uh, Universal or Islands of Adventure. And I'm waiting in line. We had just done Hagrid's um, Magical Adventure, whatever, which is, which that roller coaster fucking rules. I love roller coasters. Me too. So we're in line for the Velocicoaster. We'll have to go. When the boys are older, I'm going to come with you. How old do you think they have to be for the us thing is to actually? Universal is the, um, is an adult park because there's just more roller coasters. Right. So it's going to be a couple years yet, but that's like I'll a, be there. That's like a 12 and 15 year old trip. I'll still be there. Don't worry. I'll come with you. Okay. So I'm in line at the Velocicoaster. All of a sudden there's inclement weather. They shut down the roller coaster because it's a metal coaster in the sky. And if there's lightning within 15 miles of the park, they have to shut it down. Got it. Safety first, folks. So we're waiting in line. And my friend and I are like, why don't we just wait in line? We don't know when this is going to end. And so we waited in line for like two hours. However, people kept leaving. And slowly we kept like inching forward in the line. And we're talking. KK is my um, partner in that parody. And we're chatting. And someone looks up and they go, are you from Six Chick Flicks? <gasps> they recognized us. So fun. It's even better. This is Sarah's sister <gasps> who had come to see the show with Sarah. She drove she drove two and a half hours to see the show in Orlando. Oh my god. And then she happened to be at Universal. And it was so funny because I tried to hang out with Sarah, but there was just some scheduling conflicts and she had to scoot um after the show. But it was so funny. I got to talk to her sister then for like an hour. <laughs> It's so really fun. Cool. But it's such a small world, and nothing made me feel cooler than being in line and someone being like, Are you from that play, Six Chick Flicks? I know, because I don't cool. know if you guys realize this, but we are never, ever recognized. We're never recognized. <laughs> 
Well, in my life, Koa had his last day of soccer. <laughs> um, poor Koa. He's like a JV soccer player and all the other kids are V. And so he like has to play on a separate He's field. In that's their varsity. For, and he just doesn't like play. He just like looks up at the sky and spins. That you was know? me though when I was a, I mean his imagination is a little too active for a soccer game right now. Sports isn't my vibe and it might not me be either. his. No, I don't is think it, it is. Maths? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Matt, it's interesting. There's been like a dad date um that he knew both the dads and it was like both of the dates that they went on. I was like I had that feeling of like I want my husband to get to go on this dad date with these two dads he likes, but they were both sports oriented. And I was like, oh, Matt can't do that. Like, he can't, like, go to a bar and watch sports. He has, like, nothing to say about it. And he he wouldn't be interested in spending his time doing it. But he does have a dad date on Friday. Wait, what are they going to do? What's the dad date? The, uh, going to a concert. I don't really know what much concert? more. Th- I don't That's know. It? I don't wow, know the you know answers. Nothing. Listen, it's a really busy week, and Matt was going to get a vasectomy on Thursday, and we canceled it because it's such a busy week. And there's a pizza party for Koa's class on Friday that is in our yard. That um, you know, he's got to mow the lawn because guess what? And look out the window. There's a lot of lawn to mow. Hold on. Hold on. I'm so. Hold on. It's worth it. It's worth oh, it. Quinn! Right? A lot of weeds. Yeah, but I kind of like that look. <laughs> I kind of like that Matt look. Googled those weeds, by the way, and was like, did you know these are edible? And I was like... He's been eating them. He's been taking the weeds inside from our lawn, blanching them, and then sauteing them and eating them. God, we love... We, we stand a man who saves... We stand a man who yeah, saves. You know you can what? Quote me on that. I. He was gonna go get this vasectomy because. Um, Which, by the way, can we talk about vasectomies? Hey, if you're a dude and you don't want kids, right now with what the laws are in our country, vasectomies are reversible. Go get a fucking vasectomy. It's on you. It's on fucking you. I think we can really say that it's on you at this I'm point. So mad. I'm just so, like so mad. But yes, please um, go get a vasectomy. He was gonna go get one on Thursday and. Because we have to mow the lawn and throw a pizza party and then he has to go to a concert Friday. We're delaying it. Um, we'll see when it's gonna happen. Is he nervous? <gasps> um, I probably like I think I think he is, but I also there's been no um no real pushback. I would say what's Are interesting about it like you- is that they do the thing they do when when in states where you are allowed to get abortions mm-hmm. when you go in to say you want to get a vasectomy they do that thing where they're like are, are you, you sure? sure and they make you wait like a month to think fuck to make that. sure fuck that it's so odd that as an adult you're like i'm not do i seem drunk like well the same thing i mean talk about women who don't want to have kids i'm not covered like in have- bad tattoos like i'm somebody that has like I generally think about my body and take my time. So please, can we just go in here and get this done? And by the way, that was no offense to you if you have bad tattoos. If you have Good bad for tattoos, you. Send them our way. We want to see them. Yeah, you're very brave. Very brave. Can we thank um some Patreons? Yes, please. Do you mind? Um, I would love to thank Shirley. <gasps> Shirley, Shirley, we love you, Shirley. Your burly, hair is Shirley. curly. Is oh, your hair bur- curly? We are don't you know. burly? But it's a flirty Shirley. She's so squirrely, Shirley, coming in there with her money, making sure that we got honey to put in our tea that costs a lot of money. Thank you, Shirley. 
I'm in, I'm okay with that. All right. Sarah, no H. It's just an S to the A, a. to the R to the A. a. Hey, 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 Stop hey, hey. with the H, Quinn. You're saying, hey, hey. That is confusing because her name is Sarah, not Sarah. Sarah, not See, Sarah. Without, it's Sarah. It's Sarah, not Sarah. Sarah. Sarah, we don't mean to scare you, but your name is completely Sarah. That's your name. That's your name. It's your claim to fame. And now it's also that you gave us money. <laughs> um, Did you have great. anything else? No, but I By do. By the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. Creeply. I'm Quinlan Posner. And I'm Carrie Evema. And we have a fun announcement. Guys, here's the truth. We actually, um, I want to lay it all on them, which is to say. The announcement that we want to make today is we're really excited because we joined a podcasting network. Yes. it's We're so excited. They're called Connected. Connected. Do you want to spell it since it's? C-O-N-N-E-C-T-D. They're a mission-driven, network-focused. They help podcasts like us uh, thrive and we're so excited to be part of this network because there's all these sort of diverse voices and perspectives associated with it and they have some really 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 fun shows that are part of the network we're really excited to be associated with connected because they're basically like hosting our podcast alongside all these other amazing it's like getting invited to a really cool party basically and totally. we're psyched about who the guests are at this party because the guests include a podcast that i love called the period party podcast oh, we love um, the period party nicole who hosts this podcast is awesome and gets the world's leading women's health experts to talk about guess what lady shit and it's unscripted uncensored and it's got a ton of cool stuff and information also rom crime is a super fun show it, it connects what we love which is true crime but also rom-coms so it connects a true crime sort of um a true crime case as well as a rom-com and it discusses the connections between the two which is super duper fun and honestly That's so fun it's so fun it's kind of like i'm gonna be honest with you being on my podcast i love a parody I love a chick flick. It feels very much like the hybrid. Yeah, 100%. Rom-com and true crime. What we're trying to tell you is we're in good company and we're super excited to be super fun party. Part of this party slash network slash growing up, moving onward, moving upward. We moving on up. Moving on up to connect a podcast. Um and what we'd like to do now is um, something really crazy, which is just tell you uh, two stories that are wow. truly or darkly or creepily. Wow. Let's do it. Like, we why not? We had a long intro, but it's been a minute, so I'm sorry we had to. We're here. We're here. Let's fucking go. We're here. Okay. We're sweating. We're ready. I feel. I actually feel fine. Oh. I feel temperate. Me too, me too, me too, me too. I, I totally. am like in front of the window, but it, the window's closed, so I don't know if it's a psychosomatic thing. I feel a little bit glowy. <laughs> Okay, I got this information from Wikipedia. Treble threes, Oprah. Yes. Oprah. An old Oprah interview. She loves bread. Grunge STL today. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to meet Sean Hornbeck. Sean Hornbeck is born in 1991. It is October 2nd, 2002. Sean is 11 years old. He's riding his bike near his home in Richwoods, Missouri. Mm -hmm. He's riding his bike. He disappears. He's abducted. Dang it. The parents do all the things we've heard parents do. 
They call the police. There's an investigation. It leads to nowhere. They cannot find their son. The parents appear. The media circus around this sort of clicks in. The parents are on the Montel Williams show. While they're on the Montel Williams show, there is a psychic that goes on the show and talks to the Hornbeck family. This woman, Sylvia Brown, she tells them that their son is dead. She says, holy shit, that he was abducted. And she gives information about the abductor. Like that we will find out is incorrect, is incorrect. I don't know exactly what she said, but what I can tell you is the big headline, like your son is dead, is wholly inaccurate. Imagine what? looking for your son and a psychic on the Montel Williams show tells you your son is dead. What? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, uh, uh. okay, so flash forward five years. That's just so weird. I'm trying to get in this psychic's head and be like. That's you know, like you're with certainty you're telling a family this. Yeah, I think you should. Well, with certainty, it depends on your views of psychics. I would hope that the family would take what she says with a grain of salt, but you're also in such a tenuous place yes. yourself and feeling so vulnerable that to hear that from anybody. Uh, but like to to have the balls to sort of confidently assert something like that, I would think you just um, want to err on the side of optimism at least for... This is daytime television, <laughs> folks, okay? Aye, aye, aye. This is the Montel Williams show. Why are they having a psychic come on anyway? Like, isn't the story of a child missing salacious enough? Do they really need to put an uncredited psychic on air? Are there reveal- credited psychics? I mean, they probably there looked are. for one. <laughs> There's a better business bureau that you can <laughs> okay. review. You can find accredited psychics. I would okay, love okay. it if there was an accredited psychic. <laughs> I'm accredited. I'm a psychic, but I'm accredited. Like, is the Long Island medium accredited? You know what I mean? Like, you got to ask the question. I think if this you're accredited, woman, though, you have your own show. That's the difference. That's the difference. That's the difference. Here's the thing. Why, again, you're totally, it's so, that's what I think the most frustrating is like, this psychic comes on. And it tells them their son is dead. Ugh. The family doesn't give up hope, though. I don't think you ever do. I think if your son, if there's the, if there's a fucking modicum of hope that your son is alive, mm-hmm. there's no proof that he is dead. Mm-hmm. Hope is alive. They do what a lot of families we've talked about on this podcast do. They create a foundation, the Sean Hornbeck Foundation and the Search and Rescue Team. And mm-hmm. this foundation is devoted to the search and rescue of abducted children. Right. So the family takes all of their broken hearts and puts it into trying to make the world a better place and trying to help other families. Right. We see this time and time again. It's five years later in Missouri. It's January 8th, 2007. And 13-year-old boy, Ben Ownby from Beaufort, Missouri, he is getting off his bus from school. He is 500 feet from his home. And he gets abducted. Fuck. Are you serious? Serious. You're killing me with this. I know. It's bad. It does end happy. Stop abducting people. It does end up happy. Okay. I mean, does it end up happy? No. It doesn't end up happy, but there is there is um there is hope. Okay. There is hope. So Ben Ownby get, goes missing 500 feet from his home, getting off of his school bus. There is an eyewitness at the time 
that says it was like a this guy's like I'm a truck dude. I love trucks. And he sees like a 1991 Nissan and there's rust or whatever on it. So the police have that. That's the only information they have. And there's no, they're not connecting these two cases. They're in different parts of Missouri. It's five years apart. There's no sort of like evidence to connect the two at all. But the police are going to an apartment building to serve a search warrant. Mm -hmm. While they're at the apartment building serving a search warrant, they spy the white pickup truck that matches oh, the shit. description of the eyewitness uh-huh. and we talk about how fallible eyewitness accounts are but in this moment they're like huh we should check this out there's a missing child it's been four or five days after since january 12th 2007 this is four days later i don't know it could have been five days i don't know i might have done the math wrong so they find the car and they notice it is registered under michael devlin they knock on michael devlin's door and he opens the door and he's with his son and they recognize him because he works at the pizza place near the police station emo's pizza which is a famous st louis or missouri pizza pizza chain a little about devlin devlin is born in 1965 he's raised he's raised in webster groves missouri he was adopted into a family um, with three other adopted brothers. He had three adopted brothers and then two sisters, two biological sisters. But they ado- the family adopted three boys. For work, he worked at Emo's Pizza. He also occasionally was a part-time funeral worker. His friends called him really outgoing when he was younger, but he developed diabetes. And in 2002, he had two of his toes amputated. And his friends say his demeanor changed. That's their report. Like, I feel like he had, like, his heart and soul in those toes. Totally. But also, think about what else happened in 2002. I mentioned it earlier. Sean Hornbeck was abducted. Right. Oh. Okay. I'm following, believe it or not. They open the door. The boy who he says is his son is actually missing boy Sean Hornbeck. 50 miles from his home. He has been missing for four years, three months, and six days. <gasps> they also find Ben Ownby in his possession. Who's only been gone a few days. A week or so. Yeah, five or six, four or five days. Was he like, let me get you a friend? Worse. Sean was getting older. Oh. I'm not going to recount what is going on. Oh, is it on. sexual? Mm-hmm. Oh, I had like this like very hope small hope that it was like a more like, I just want to be a dad thing. No. I know. Like how fucking naive am I? <laughs> no, I think because you, you, you don't want to go there. It's horribly tragic. And what's even crazier is Sean, people, people were introduced to Sean as Michael's son. In fact, he went by Sean Devlin. Mm-hmm. And people would ask, why aren't you in school? And he was homeschooled. They would see him riding his bike. He said he spent all day sleeping on video games or on the internet watching TV. and Or getting sexually abused. Yeah. And he said that Michael threatened his family if he escaped. And Sean could see his parents looking for him. Oh, my God. I'm really and glad he, was, he, he could see them, he, actually. It's he good said for he, him. Yes, but he also was like, I can't watch it. 
it was too hard for him. I mean, he's an 11 year old child. It was 11 to 15. Like he was like, I can't watch my family. And at one point though, the foundation that I mentioned, the Sean Hornbeck foundation. Yeah. He wrote to them, their son under the name Sean Devlin. He wrote to the Sean Hornbeck foundation and he asked, what did he say? Oh, how long are you going to look for your son? <sighs> he also was like, I wrote a poem for your son and he sent it to them. The family remembers it, but they didn't think anything of it because they were like, why oh, the think fuck it's the would same you? Name. Yeah. So this boy who was abducted, who was being held my captive, heart and was my asking, stomach. and, and the family said, no matter what, we're never going to stop looking. Oh, right answer, you guys. We're never going to stop looking. And he needed to hear that. He was just hoping that one day he'd be found, but he was so afraid. I mean, he was threatened and he was 11 and he was being sexually assaulted and traumatized. And, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't feel like he could escape and he lived under in, in just horrible fear. So Michael Devlin is arrested and the boys are reunited with their families. Devlin has no criminal record when he is arrested, which to me is so crazy and so scary, right? Like that someone could be so evil and so scary and not have any criminal record, not have anything to their name. There's no way, unless they had that eyewitness account of his car, there's no way they would they would find him. Truly, like there's a reason why Sean was missing for five for four years is because no one could even be like, oh, this guy has is a creep, is a fucking weirdo. So initially he's charged with one count of kidnapping in each county the boys were abducted from. So he has like two, two different counties, two different trials that are happening. And that's just so that he can get arrested quickly right away. But six days after the boys were located, Devlin pleads in court that he's not guilty which is wild. I don't even know what was going on in the process, in the defense attorney's mind. I guess you just plead not guilty. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were found in his possession. But of course, the prosecutor said he confessed to abducting these children and they put one puts him on a million dollar cash bail and the other county is a three million dollar bond. But months later or a month later, yeah, they were found January 12th. A month later, the prosecution added 71 new felony charges, which included sexual assault. And just, I mean, the amount of counts of sexual assault are vile and disgusting and horribly tragic. The boys were both sexually assaulted in captivity. Um, Devlin had 18 counts of, for what he did against Ownby, and there were 53 accounts, um, felony counts for what he did to Hornbeck. Um, and each of the counts that he was charged with carried the possibility of life in prison. Each count. Wow. Later, they found child pornography and they added that to the charge. Then even more charges were adding. It felt like he was pleading not guilty. What it, and I'm editorializing. I didn't read this anywhere, but it feels like. They started with this one count to put him away, mm-hmm. set bail pretty high. And then when he pled not guilty, it was like they threw the book at him. They're like, fuck you. They found you. everything. Yeah. And they were like, because honestly, if he went to trial and pled not guilty, those boys would have to testify against their Ugh. 
attacker against their rapist and abductor. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like the prosecution was like, we need to keep everything, keep throwing the book at him until finally on October 6th, he announced that he would plead guilty in all four courts. Because in addition to the two jurisdictions of the county, he had traveled, I guess, to Illinois. So they added more jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So between October 8th, 9th, and 10th, he pled guilty in each county that he was charged in. His total sentence is 74 life sentences. And I read somewhere that in addition, it was 2,020 years were additionally added. So he has over 4,000 years in prison. In another place, I read that the total years he was sentenced to was 1,850. Jeez. The fact that the boys are alive is truly a miracle. Um, What's that psychic have to fucking say for herself? Right? Right? That to me is just horrifying. As a parent, I would just really want to take that up. Want to fucking sock them in the... While in prison, as I'm sure you're one to surmise, prison is not a great place for um, rapists of children at all. And... Well, then it's just where he belongs. (laughs) Totally. And in prison, while he's eating breakfast, another inmate attacks him with a sharp tool they stab him it's called an ice pick he stabbed multiple times what it is is the assailant the prisoner who attacked him made a sharp tool out of the like hammer pin of his typewriter and you call that an ice pick that's very confusing because there are actual ice picks in the world that are called ice picks maybe it wasn't maybe it was like it needs to have its own name like a but i think like are they called shivs or something shivs yeah i guess well there was ice pick in quotation i didn't totally let me look it up. Hold on. Let me see. Several times with two ice picks. Hmm. But it's before modern, which it says it is, but it says it in quotes, and I'm not totally sure. But what it does say is that he made the weapons from metal guide bars on his typewriter. That's commitment, folks. It's innovation is what it is. Immediately, the, poli- the the officer saw what was happening. They told him to drop his weapon. He dropped it, but not until he got a couple licks in and stabbed him a couple times. Devlin did survive, and there were talks and concerns about his safety in the prison that, they, that he was at, and there was talks about maybe moving him to another high-security prison. But the family protested and objected to this, and then the plan was stopped. So he is still at the same prison. But the bright side is that these two boys that were abducted are back home with their family. I mean, hopefully getting a lot of help, hopefully getting a lot of help, a lot of help. But the fact that this car led them to the the miracle of saving these two kids, Mm -hmm. of getting them out of there. And it was one of those things where, like, I can't imagine what would have happened to Sean as because he he was getting older. And that's why Michael abducted this other boy. It's like. ugh. Ugh, it's just horrible. Yeah, I mean, if you see something, say something, because mm-hmm. you never know, right? Right. Wow, that is rough. It's a rough story. Rough story, But Harry. I hope it ended sort of Don't happy. worry, I have a really cheery one. No, it's not. It's the opposite. It's the opposite day. It's Here's opposite the thing. I don't want to harp on it too much, but it's always nice to hear of an abduction, period. No, it's always nice to hear when these children are returned home. You know, like, I'm just glad that they're home and hopefully getting a lot of help. Sure. 
Ugh, I'm sorry to tell that story. I'm really sorry. Well, I'm going to double down and tell you. Okay, this story's sort of been done to death. However, Ooh. I decided I wanted to do it because I knew you didn't know it. And because I'm an idiot. Well, no, I just am always like, why do we do this podcast? We do it because we like telling each other stories. And I uh, love the dear readers, but and they are um, sometimes metaphorical flies beautiful though they are larger than life gorgeous sometimes there's a fly on the wall vibe and i like here's the thing guys you probably know this story but i know carrie doesn't and i think you would all agree it's a story that you want it well and you want to tell somebody that's never heard it and i don't have a lot of people in my life that haven't so here we go i'm going to tell you (laughs) you probably have never heard of dennis Rader. The BTK killer. The BTK killer sounds familiar. Yes, probably, because he's like a famous serial killer. Yeah. Okay. I got my information from Biography, Good Housekeeping, The Daily Beast, Inside Edition, um, Surviving BTK, Psychology Today, Refinery29. This is the story of Dennis Rader, the BTK killer. He was born on March 9th, 1945 to Dorothea May Rader and William Elvin Rader. I do like the name Elvin. A-L or E-L? No, like Elvin, like an elf. Like it's like E-L-V-I-N. Fun. It's fun. kind of a fun name. Um, He's one of four s- sons. I am one of four girls. Same. So if you were one of four, you would have been a serial killer. No, no, I'm saying we're opposites. So everything that so you're he not is a evil, I am good. <gasps> mm-hmm. uh, and it's like a little like Glenda the Good Witch. And, you know, when you have a devil and angel appear on your shoulder, it's Dennis Rader and me. Oh, that's horrifying. It's so weird. But that's, that's weird. what happens. That's what, it's science. If you ever hear people saying they had a devil angel on their shoulder, that's who you should picture. I don't know if I'd want that guy on my shoulder. Dennis Rader, me. Um, he grew up in Wichita. His parents worked a lot and didn't pay a ton of attention. I'm not putting any blame on that. Like, because you do what you have to do. Three other siblings who did not turn out to be serial killers. Fun fact, for sure. But at a very young age, he actually gets young, like young. He knows that he is into freaky deaky sex stuff. And listen, that's nothing to be ashamed of either. But this went from dark to darker. He was like had fantasies of women being helpless or trapped uh and he gets really into the idea of binding them and i read this account that i don't know how true it is that one day he his mom was like a disciplinarian right and so maybe he was a little scared of her or something there was a power dynamic there and one day he got home and she was trapped on the couch because her ring had gotten stuck on a spring. And he walked in and saw her there. And she had a look of being scared. Mm-hmm. And he was like, whoa, I like the feeling I'm having seeing Ooh. my mom like scared and stuck. Ooh. Right? Don't love. But Don't he'll, love. La- he'll later call that feeling of of feeling good about seeing something like that the X factor, like basically he will say like, I killed because of this X factor that existed in me that was basically this sexual gratification that I found Mm. from seeing people, from seeing women feel trapped or helpless. Um, He also, when as a young kid, starts hurting animals. 
um, it's called zoo. I think it's called zoo sadism, I think is the word, but it's basically like he would fucking like capture and torture and hang animals, which we know is a precursor to for sure to doing that with people. Mm -hmm. Um, he's also just a peeping Tom and would get a lot of satisfaction from going around the neighborhood and sneaking in people's houses and stealing their undies. So he has tons of hobbies. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. Active active kid. Yeah. No after school activities for him. Yeah. He's got it set. No time for drama or tennis. Um, so he goes to Kansas Wesleyan University after high school. Um, he doesn't get like great grades or anything and he drops out. And then he goes to the Air Force from 66 to 1970. He gets discharged, which I don't know a lot about. And he moves to Park City and he works at the meat department of an IGA, which just knowing that this person's going to become a serial killer uh, sits not great with no, me. No, 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 no. Um, in 1971, he meets Paula Dietz and they get married. And they have two kids, Carrie and Brian. How do they spell Carrie? Uh, with an I. K-E-R-R-I? Uh-huh. Don't love that. That's too close. Too close to home. I too think close you to would, name, my name. It's too, not too close to home. It's too close to my name. Glenn. I think you would like Carrie, for the record. All right, cool, cool, cool. I so Carrie. I don't just, judge her by her family. I just don't like that his my name came out of his mouth ever. I feel that. Um, he, he's known to have never said Quinlan. <laughs> Was the next fact on my list I wanted to read off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was known to then he goes to wichita state university he gets um a degree in ready for this administration of justice stop yes he's just doing recon (laughs) sort of what happens is he gets a job for only like a year at cessna which is a small aircraft manufacturer and at this point he's like pillar of the community vibes you know he's like he goes to the Lutheran church. He's elected president of the church. His son's getting older. He becomes the Cub Scout leader. Um, but then he gets fired from Cessna and he is in his late 20s. He's married. He's an Air Force veteran. He's doing all these things. And he's like, "Ooh, I'm unemployed, though. And I've kind of got these demons that I've been maybe busy enough to put on the back burner but it feels like i've got some time on my hands let's sink deeper let's explore this fantasy world um and let's he's like really focused on what it would feel like to kill a woman i think that's what he's focused on (sighs) he i don't know why i wrote down these fun facts but He's obsessed with pornography and he's daydreaming a lot. And I just, I guess I do need to note that he nicknames his penis Sparky. Wow. Wow. That's who we're dealing with, folks. Wow. Sparky. Isn't that from um, uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days? Sparky? Sparky. She calls him Sparky. I don't know. Oh, Sparky. That's from, oh, and you know who else says Sparky is, um... The Griswolds, right? Doesn't she call her husband Sparky? Or something like that. See, the, yeah, Spark. Oh, 
don't, why do you have to ruin Sparky for all of us, Dennis? I don't think I, okay, yeah, I thought you were yelling God at me. I was damn like, it. I think it was Dennis. No, no, it's Dennis. Um, So he's like fantasizing and doing his perverse stuff in his head for a year. And then it's like enough's enough. A new family moves into his neighborhood and he notices them. Joseph and Julio Taro have moved to the neighborhood. They're a couple with a bunch of kids and he notices them. Specifically, he notices Julie and he notices their daughter who is Josephine and is 11 years old. And on January 15th, 1974, he cuts their phone line and gets into their home and he kills the parents and two of their children who are also home at the time, including 11-year-old Josephine. The three other siblings who are older and are in school come home and discover no. their family dead. It's so devastating. I, I mean, to be a child and to walk in on that. No. Um, and he's like hung Josephine in the basement. And the parents are bound. BTK will be a name that he coins himself for himself, and it stands for Bind, Torture, Kill. In this instance, what I think is really strange about this first kill is that it's four people that he kills this first time around. I don't know if he knew the dad. It's like it doesn't escalate. Yes, exactly. I don't think he thought the dad was going to be home, and the dad had had a car accident, so he was home. But this whole family had taken, like, judo or something. So he's obviously, like, using um, a weapon to sort of control the scene and I think the main thing was just that he wanted some sort of sexual satisfaction from murdering this child basically Josephine so you think that he killed the parents in order to get to Josephine I think he killed look I I believe what we know is that he did kill the whole family first you wanted to tell me this story well here's the thing you're gonna the payoff of all the horror that we're about to detail, and I'm really tried to actually not go into too much detail with the killings Same, yeah, because exactly, he does kill t- ten people, um, all told. But what I wanted you to know is how he got caught, um, because right. it's strange. Um, it's similar. Wow, theme. Right. Theme. Um, and I think like what's interesting about the story, and. Uh, Obviously, there's so many elements of horror to this story, but what I find so unsettling is his presence in the community as this dad right, and the right. idea that like he, he was in hiding in plain I, sight. When they're psychologically profiling him, I think that they are um, unaware in the beginning that this could be a family man that is integrated into his community. I think right. they think of him as of an outsider who of cannot socialize and can't hold a job. And meanwhile, after this, he gets a job at an outdoor supply company. And then after that, guess where he gets a job? ADT Security. And he <gasps> works there for 14 years. And during this time, while he's killing people, He's also installing security systems in houses of people that are reading about him killing people and are scared of him. And then he's going to their house, installing their security system. Oh, my God. Like, like, he's the reason they're getting a security system. It's so crazy. And after this first kill that I... vertical integration. Oh, my God. That's horrifying. So after this first kill, it's only four months before he kills somebody. And he kills 
this woman, Catherine Bright. He will find someone he wants to kill and he'll call it his project and stalk them and plan it. And the day that he kills her on April 4th, 1974, he breaks into her home from the porch and hides in her bedroom. And at two, she gets home and he rushes out with a gun, but her brother's with her, which she wasn't expecting, who's 19. And he tells them this story. And this is what we also believe he told the Otero family, that he was a criminal and that he's out. He does like a don't worry I'm not here to hurt you. I just need your car. I need food. I need money. I'm a criminal. I'm headed out kind of thing. Right. Like he at first makes them calm. He gets them in the in the bedroom and he tells the brother, Kevin, to tie up uh, Catherine. And no. then he takes Kevin into another room and starts to tie Kevin up. But Kevin fights so hard against him that he almost gets the gun away from Dennis. No. And he shoots Kevin in the head twice and then he goes back to kill Catherine Catherine also fights him he starts to try to strangle her which is kind of like part of his um sexual perversion right but in doing so he realizes this is too difficult to like strangle someone that's fighting you and he ends up stabbing her in the stomach while this is all happening and Kevin lies shot in the head in the other room Kevin is alive and escapes. No. Yeah, he runs out of there to his car and drives away to get help. This is so crazy. Does Kevin survive? Kevin survives. (gasps) Kevin survives. Sadly, Catherine does not and dies at the age of 21. Um, She has a bunch of surgeries to try to prevent it, but she doesn't survive. I I just think, like, even just the fa- first kill, entire family, second kill, tries to just kill one woman, has somebody survive it. The fact that this guy, like, goes on to kill after this is also, it's yeah. such a close call. Right. And he leaves a survivor. But um, what happens after he's killed these initial five people is that in October of that same year, He's like, hey, I just want to flag that I exist. Oh, yeah, five people. Sorry. It's five people. Um, Attempted six, but five. Um, So in October, um, somebody confesses to killing the Oteros, not Dennis Rader. And then an editor at the Wichita Eagle gets a phone call that says, go check out this book at the Wichita Library. And they go. It's like a scavenger hunt. They go and inside the book is a letter, and it says in it, among other things, those three dudes you have in custody are just talking to get publicity. The code words for me will be, bind them, torture them, kill them, BTK. You see he added again. They will be on the next victim, meaning those letters will be on the next victim. And then writes, I'm sorry this happened to the society. It hard to control myself. You probably call me psychotic with sexual perversion hang up. Where this monster enter my brain, I will never know. But it here to stay. How does one cure himself? If you ask for help that you have killed four people, they will laugh or hit the panic button and call the cops. I can't stop it. So the monster goes on. 
and hurt me as well as society. Maybe you can stop him. I can't. Good luck hunting. And then he does this kind of fucked up signature that is the letters BTK, but it's drawn in a way that it looks like a woman's bound body, sort of. Like the B has like, he like turns it into boobs. Anyway, obviously shit is spelled wrong. Grammar's all over the fucking place. Um, But it does have details that get their attention right away where they're like, this might actually be the guy that did this. March 17th, 1977. This is three years after that letter is sent. He wanted to go after this woman, Cheryl. That was his quote in his terminology project. Um, And he goes to her house and she's not home. And he happens to run into a five-year-old boy named Steve Relford. And he pulls out a picture of his own wife and son. I don't know why he does this. And says to the boy, do you know who they are? And the boy's like, no. And goes home. And Dennis follows him. Goes to that door. Rings the bell. This little boy answers the door. Lets him inside the house. He turns off the TV. He closes the blinds. There are other kids that are home. Steve's siblings. And the mom comes in and sees him having turned off the TV and closed the line. She's terrified. Raider barricades the boy and his two siblings that are home in the bathroom and tells the mom, I'm going to rape you. Gives her a glass of water, smokes a cigarette, and then doesn't rape her but strangles her. Her name is Shirley Vian. I don't know if he planned to kill her babies as well. But at this time, the phone rings, and I think it panics him, and he leaves with them in the bathroom. Oh, my God. Orphaned. And they have to try to describe the man that did this. And I read some interviews with Steve about, like, his guilt in being like, I let him into our house. He was a child. He was a kid. The next victim is... 25-year-old Nancy Fox. He binds and strangles her. Um, and then he goes to a payphone and calls the police right after he does it and says, Ugh. you will find a homicide at 843 South Pershing and calls the police on himself. So now they have his voice that they're trying to analyze. But just like he's doing things that are so out of the norm this entire time. Right. Trying to get in touch with the police, trying to get in touch with the press. I mean, it reminds me a little bit of Zodiac stuff. Um, Wow. Just a couple of months after he kills Nancy Fox and calls the cops on himself, he writes to the Wichita Eagle again. It's a poem. And it begins, Shirley Locks, Shirley Locks, Wilt Thou Be Mine? Um, They, this is so fucked up, but the mail clerk reads it and is like, oh, It's a Valentine's Day card and gives the letter to the classifieds area of the paper. This is Zodiac. This is so wild. And it's, wow. So he had thought that it was going to be received and they were going to be like, oh my God, he's talking about Shirley that he killed, but it doesn't go his way. So then he sends a two-page letter to... K-I-K-E TV that says in it, among other things, how many people do I have to kill before I get my name in the paper or some national attention? And in this letter, he's like, here's some names. I'm thinking the BTK Strangler, 
the Wichita Hangman, the Asphyxiator. BTK did stick, which you are just like annoyed that here's this like guy being like, here's my here's what I here's want. my serial killer name. And we're like, sure, you get that. Like, I just always feel like they should have really diminutive um, fucking idiot. Like, yeah. Or like tiny ding dong. Like, yeah. Just or like, like rapist. Just another fucking rapist and murderer. Wow. The noodle special. mouse. Just like a dumb name. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want them to like, yeah, have the power that they're seeking. After this, they call a news conference and they talk about BTK. They sort of like establish to the public like there is this serial killer that's finding people and strangling them. In 1979, he sets his sights on a woman named Anna Williams, who's 63 years old. I think that. It's like he started off with all this hubris of, like, killing an entire family and killing people, but, the like, a, a brother shows up. Right. I think what he's doing now is he's, like, I want to keep killing and I actually want to minimize. He goes backward almost in terms of escalation where totally. he's, like, I don't want to get caught. I don't think the idea of maybe getting caught was necessarily enticing. I think he wanted everyone to know he existed. Right. And he wanted to keep getting off on... The arrogance of being like, ha it's me. I did it again. But he doesn't want to get caught in the act because he starts to target, like, older women that are alone. Right. He starts to take less risks. Right. So he picks Anna Williams and he goes and he waits outside her house and he's like, I'm going to kill her tonight. And she just takes forever to get home, forever to get home, forever to get home. And he leaves. What's crazy is that two months later... She gets some of her personal shit that belongs to her from her house in the mail with a poem that's titled, Oh, Anna, why didn't you appear? And she knows that she was that close to death. Terrifying. Fucking terrifying. That's in April of 79. And when that doesn't happen... A few months later, in August of 79, there haven't been any more deaths, but the authorities are now trying to get help from the public. So they release a recording of that phone call where he had called the police to report Nancy Fox's death. And so tips start coming in. If that sounds like this guy, that sounds like this guy. Um, Not a lot of relevant information comes out at that point. Um, Five years go by. No more deaths, but also no more fucking progress. So in 84, they form a task force that's just devoted to going after BTK. And they call themselves the Ghostbusters, which is so weird because... That's very strange. That name is actually... I don't know if you guys knew this. That's a copyright. Somebody already took that. That's a a name that's already been taken. And it's a really weird choice. Yeah. Like... It just it's, doesn't no. – I don't find that associative with going after BTK. With the canon, with the canon of Zo- Ghostbusters? You don't so find that – Yeah. You mean a serial killer? Yeah, because Ghostbusters doesn't have anything to do with serial killers. Just ghosts. Yeah. That's just um, – it's like po- really poor marketing on their part. But then a year later, he does kill again. In 1985, he strangles his neighbor. Ugh. 53-year-old Marine Hedge lives on the same block as him, been there over 30 years in Park City. 
And in April, he's in the middle of his son's like Boy Scout meeting. And he's like, um, you know, I have a headache. I have to go. And he leaves and takes a cab, maybe so his car couldn't be tracked, over to her house, cuts the phone line, sneaks in, and she's not home. And he just hides and waits no, for her. Oh, that's so scary. So scary. She gets home with a man that she's seen. And they hang out and, like, chat at the house. And he's hiding all the while. And the guy leaves at, like, 1 in the morning. And she's alone. And he comes out and binds her and strangles her. Then... This is so crazy. He takes her body to a church that he has keys to because he's so trusted in the community. And he covers the windows of the church with garbage bags and in the church takes pictures of her body to like have for himself. Ugh. And then takes the body and dumps it. And she's found eight days later. No. In 86, he kills Vicky Weggirl. She's 28. She's a mom of two. He dresses up as a telephone repairman and comes to her door. And he says he's going to fix the phone line. Really, he cuts it. And then he tells her, I'm going to tie you up. And he does so. He chokes her. He steals her car to drive away from the scene. And her husband's on the way home and passes him. And is like, that looks like my car. Goes home. Goes inside. Finds his two-year-old alone and his wife murdered. Oh, God. Meanwhile, Dennis ditches the car, goes home and changes. And what's so crazy about this story is that the husband, Bill, becomes the fucking primary suspect. They don't tie it to BTK right away. And he's so nervous he keeps failing lie detector tests. No. So they're like, this guy killed his wife. They don't have any um, evidence. So he doesn't go to jail, but it becomes this thing where the whole, exactly, the whole community is like. It was him. It's him. And like his kids are growing up hearing people talk about that. And and these rumors persist for eight years till 2004. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, I know we're doing, like, it's so many deaths. Guys, this is the last one, I swear. This is BTK's final kill. He kills a woman named Dolores Davis, who lives a mile and a half from him. He's going to go camping with the Boy Scouts over the weekend. And he comes up with an excuse to slip away and drives his car to his parents' house um, and changes out of his uniform. And into his, what he called his hit clothes. Like he had like a Dexter Ugh, outfit yeah, or whatever. This guy sounds like a fucking tool. Mm-hmm. And a murderer and a fucking, st- but like, ugh, what a dick. So he waits till she falls asleep, throws a cinder block through her door, and does his usual bind and strangle. Um, I Sorry, I don't mean to be like... um callous about callous it you're about just it. like i think i'm like go, you're trying to do it so that you're not going through all the details because it's a lot i'm it's really trying to not like detail every kill because like what am i going to do sit here and tell you guys in detail no. about like these no. 10 murders it's no. so gut-wrenching and horrifying um and i i want to tell you the story but i also like for my own sanity i have like a really hard time giving each murder the weight that it deserves and these people are victims. It's very real what happened to them, and it's very heartbreaking. But for my own um, 
stomach and sanity. I need to like not live in the place. Yes. Yes. I hope you guys don't find it disrespectful. I I don't mean it to be. Um, It's honestly, it's horrifying. Um, And again, he takes pictures of this victim, too. Did you see the movie The Clove Hitch Killer? Mm-mm. It's interesting. I did. And it's sort of like somebody read this whole case and then did a movie with like Dylan McDermott playing this guy. Mm. And it's almost just the imagination of like what it would be like to. It's from the son's perspective, figuring out that his dad's a serial Ooh. killer. It's so dark. Ooh. But in the, in this case, when he takes pictures of Dolores, he dumps her body and goes back to where he dumped it the next night and takes pictures. There's just there's a lot of like risky well, he gameplay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's, I mean, he's the one that's egging on the police. I mean, it feels like they are not anywhere close to Well, that's to how he'll end up getting caught. So let's get into that. This is, she is his, Dolores is his 10th and final victim. I, I don't know what happened. I think like he was getting older and I think being a father of two kids and involved in the community, I don't know whether he, Would have killed again, but I mm. he does stop at this point and sort of drop off the map. Um, and he gets this this job as a dog catcher and a compliance officer. And the people that knew him and lived in the neighborhood and witnessed him in this new position will later recount how fucking weird he was and be like, that guy was off. There's this neighbor, Donna Barry, that says that she and her kids were out one day, like in their front lawn, and that a neighbor was out with their dog, and that some kind of altercation happens where Dennis goes over and approaches the dog and tries to mace the dog. What? And the wind starts to blow the mace so yes. that it actually starts to go into his face. Yes. Which sends him into a rage or panic and he shoots this person's dog. What? It's so crazy. But like, he's so he's like not killing and it just leads to his facade breaking. Yeah. Right? Remember I kind of teased Bill getting exonerated for killing his wife? Yeah. Well, so in... January of 2004, that's when that happens. The Wichita Eagle runs a 30th anniversary piece on BTK, kind of being like, remember that killer? We never caught him. We don't know where he is. And it's now been 30 years since his first kill. Um, And the article's like, this was so sad. This was such a horrible time. But the memory is starting to fade. It seems like this guy's gone. So that's triggering for Dennis Rader, who is like, hey, I don't want to be forgotten. So he writes them a letter, says it's from Bill Thomas Kilman. That's his like fake name. Kilman. TK, Bill Thomas Kilman. Oh, you're on. You're. Thank you. (laughs) Quinn, hold on. I crossed my leg. You know what? You cracked it. Yeah. And thank God you're here because I didn't. Bill Thomas Kilman. Yeah. There you go. So but he sends. Vicky's driver's license and photos of her body. So Bill is exonerated by his community. Yeah, pretty cold comfort if you ask me. But at the same time, like, it's about time. Um, And then he just keeps sending shit. Like, basically, I think, like... It's his hubris that's going to get And if he's not doing the killings and getting 
uh, off, off on, on that. He has to like find a way to yeah. feel those feelings. So this is it. So he starts, listen, he sends them a puzzle. He sends them um, a phony ID. He sends them chapter titles for this. Do you think this- he wanted to get caught? No. It's so hard to say. I don't think that's I think that's really complicated. I don't think there's a yes or no answer. I think he wanted a constant stream of attention right. and that he might have been somebody that would have deathbed confessed it. I don't think he wanted to spend time in prison. Right. Wanted to get caught. Let me tell you this. He sends them at one point a letter grid that supposedly has clues in it. it you can find words in it like prowl and fantasies but in retrospect now that we know it's him people have pointed out that the letters r a d e r are grouped together and they're around the numbers 6220 because it looks all random but that's a fact and so it spells raider it has his home address did that again is like a flirtation on his part of like, I don't know. I, I dare you, I dare you. You think he wants to get caught. I think by getting caught, then he'll be able to live a fantasy of being famous on the newspapers again. Sure. He's not going to tell them, but he wants, I mean, that mystery. I don't know. I mean, he's putting actual, like you can put, you cannot put your name on something. I think that's an active choice to put your name and address on it. Sure, sure. So he also drops in um, a park a garbage bag that has Nancy Fox's license and a Barbie doll with a hood over its head and arms tied behind its back. He's such a fucking creep. Then he sends another like ego on that invitation guy. for a scavenger hunt to KIKETV and they it leads to, are you ready for this? It's a dad joke. Where does it lead? A cereal box. Get it? Yeah, I get it. Okay. It's not funny. They find it. On it is descriptions of murders that he's written on it and another fucking Barbie doll in a death position. And then they send him a postcard that says, have you found what I left for you at Home Depot? And it turns out he had left another cereal box um, at Home Depot and an employee had found it in their pickup truck. And, okay, let's just get to, this is, this is you're going to like this part. Okay. He sends them a message asking if he communicates with them via floppy disk, can it be traced? If it, and he says, if, it, if you can't trace me, let me know by running a newspaper ad. With the message, Rex, it will be okay. That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. That's why I thought you would like that. That's the he basically. He wants to get caught because they can trace it. So they're like, Rex, it's all okay. So right, they right, get right. The fuck- they, run the, they run the Rex, it'll be okay. He sees it and sends them a postcard that's like, got it. Sends them a fucking floppy, floppy. disk um. with info he wants them to have to like show off about being a murderer. And... They check the metadata on the disc and they can see it was used by a dentist at Christ Lutheran Church and at Park City Library. And they search for the church. And guess who the president of the church is? Dennis fucking Raider. It's just so nuts. He's he's the president of the church. Did you say that before? Yeah. I missed that. Yeah. Cub Scout leader, president of church. 
Who needs a president of fucking church? That's just a dude. Yeah, you guys might want to rethink that. Especially president if you're... of church. Can we just talk about that fucking title? Yeah. I am president of church. So now they're like, wait, we think we ego. have him. We think we have him. I can't believe he was like, you guys, can you honor, track me this honor. way? Hey, hey, he is a boy scout. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. Scouts He's honor. Like, I never lied. I just never, I never admitted to doing it, but I never lied to you. What a fucking <sighs> dick. So the Ghostbusters are like, we got to get DNA. <laughs> Sorry. It's so stupid. It's so stupid. The Ghostbusters are like, we ain't afraid of no ghost. We ain't afraid of no floppy disk. We need DNA. They get DNA from Carrie, from like a pap smear she did. They match it to Dennis. And they're like, and they match Dennis's DNA to semen that's been left at the crime scenes. Mm -hmm. And they're like, we got our guy. So he's coming home from work to have lunch with his wife and the police pull him over, take him into custody, and he confesses right away pretty much. But he's also like, you guys, I'm really mad at you. You lied. <laughs> and they're like, you killed. What's fucking worse? They're like, you know what, Dennis, we did lie. Um, he waives his right to a preliminary hearing. And he's 60 when he gets arrested. He pleads guilty to 10 counts of first-degree murder. And he, in a completely detached fucking zombie, no-emotions way, will go over these murders in really great detail. And he'll talk about looking for projects. He'll talk about when he had time off as a dog catcher looking. He talks about his hit kit, his hit clothes. He talks about cubing, which is his way of explaining how he could go from, like, dad mode to killer mode and like compartmentalizing those identities um just a sicko he is sentenced to 10 consecutive life terms in prison um a minimum of 175 years without the possibility of parole it's interesting in my case he got over 1800 years in missouri and this guy only got 100 i mean listen at the end of the day it's they're at all the end of the day jail, but at the same time you gotta go what it comes out afterwards that he had stalked women in the 80s and another one in the 90s, and they had filed restraining orders against him. Um, and one had even changed her address to avoid him. So he, even though we say, like, he was, like, invisible and dad He was still, cover, there was still. People were getting the creeps from him. Um, he said that during his cooling off periods, as he called it, between murders, that he would take pictures of himself wearing women's clothes in a female mask while bound, like try to enact what was turning mm-hmm. on and take like selfies, basically. Um, what again, I just want to flag that he was installing security systems for years during his kill during his killing spree. Were any of the people he installed? No, victims? No. Interesting. Interest. That's very interesting. When he gets arrested, they grant his wife an emergency divorce. Yeah. Uh, there's no waiting period. She can just make that happen right away. And then um, she can testify against him too. There's not a lot known about Brian Rader, his son, which is Fine. from my research, totally by choice, and so we're going to leave it at that. Um What about Carrie? Carrie wrote a book about it. Uh, in 2019 called A Serial Killer's Daughter, My Story of Faith, Love, and Overcoming. And she's talked a lot about her struggles. Um, right. And 
she spoke about it on ABC News in 2019. And at the time, she was like, I'm writing to my father. I've forgiven him in a lot of ways, but I can't also reconcile that he was this killer because my childhood felt really normal. Right. Ugh. But then, more recently, in 2021 at CrimeCon, she told the audience that um, she's had to, like, break all contact with him because he started cyber-stalking her and was doing really crazy things like um, sending her really creepy drawings of animals. And he has, obviously, because the world is a sick place, he has, like, what you might call fans or followers. And he was getting them to reach out to her and – print off like screenshots of her social media accounts and photos of her and what she's doing like being like stalking her through his followers basically so awful i mean the guy gets worse and worse and it's it's you kind of are like maybe he should be in solitary he shouldn't be allowed to talk to his quote-unquote fan base no 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 um no that's so completely horrifying um, but that is the story of Dennis Rader, the BTK killer. And thank you for telling that. To I'm me. sorry to take you on what a journey. the worst roller coaster ride of your life. But I did need you to know about the disc and him yeah. getting caught by being like, wait a minute, if I do this, can you catch me? What's and they're crazy like, is like, he could have Googled it. Like, what an idiot. He's a real dummy. Well, oh, I hate. He's I a hate. monster, to be fair. He's a monster. Ugh. Oh. Okay. And I was really into the show Mindhunter, and they sort of did this thing where, um, you know, they they stopped prematurely making the show, um, and a lot of people were really big fans, myself included, and they kind of had a through line of putting his character, like, you, if you know BTK, you knew it was him, but they didn't say it. Right. But while they were solving all these other cases, they just do flashes of what is BTK and his life. And you were sort of like, where are they going to go with this? It's so fascinating. Is Mindhunter the one with Jonathan Groff? That one? Yeah. Check it's really good. And okay, it's all it. about um, the in- invention or beginnings of psychological profiling. Dear readers... Thank you for joining us. We're today. so sorry. I'm it went so, so dark. Oh my god, I'm starving. Let's get I'm some really food. Hungry. Let's get some food. Also, I do have to give an update, but I'm wondering if I should keep it for our Patreon about my ghosting. I probably should keep it for Patreon. Let's do it in the Patreon. I'm so sorry, folks. Does I'm that, sorry. Well, that's. I mean, or to do that, we're like going to little tease it. It's going to come out in June. The you know next week it'll come out. Yeah, that's a really good update to give too. That's exciting because you know the update that I'm about to give. Hell yeah, I do. Well, guys, here's get, what we want to say. Stay tuned. There'll be some more announcements coming soon. There's some really new exciting things for the pod. And we love you guys. And we um, will be here for you when the rain starts to fall. (laughs) 